Welcome to the Honest Field Guide podcast, a weekly show dedicated to winning in entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Ginger Birkenbuehl. I'm the CEO of Burt Creative, a leadership, brand strategy, and visual identity agency dedicated to helping scale brands and assist with their adaptability with the market. On my show, you get to eavesdrop in on intimate conversation with business leaders and inspired entrepreneurs designed to give you tips and strategies so your own business can thrive. Subscribe and join me each week for laughter, inspiration, and honest stories. Nika Vaughn, Plant Salon. I am so excited to be talking to Nika Vaughn of Chicago's Plant Salon today on this episode of the Honest Field Guy podcast. But before we talk to Nika, I want to talk a little bit about my background with plants because Nika is the queen of plants in Chicago. She's the queen of plants in America, as far as I'm concerned. She is all the things. She is everything. But before we talk to Nika, I want to just say that my experience with plants dates back to when I grew up as a child with a mom that had plants everywhere, all over our condo. And um, I grew up in Hyde Park, which is a, a neighborhood in Chicago, right over next to the lake, across the street from the Museum of Science and Industry. And, you know, the whole environment of Hyde Park, um, especially in the summertime, was lush and full of lots of nature and lots of trees. And the condos in Hyde Park are like vintage condos. There's like beautiful windows and solariums and everybody had plants when I was growing up. And my mom was was the same. She had tons of plants. And so I, I grew up looking at lots of green things and we didn't have pets, but she did have a turtle. And in the turtle bowl, there were plants. <laughs> There's, you know what I mean? Eventually, my mom moved on to growing corn and strawberries. We moved out of Hyde Park. We moved. She moved us to the Beverly neighborhood in Chicago, which was very traumatic for me because we went from, you know, beautiful, uh, culturally competent, integrated, philosophical community to very blue collar um, Beverly, but huge yard. And she grew corn and strawberries and maintained flowers. And she even planted two trees, an apple tree, and a peach tree. So, you know, I always grew up seeing these, 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 this, this nature. And it's interesting because when I decided um, to get married and have children, I moved to the least natural place on the planet, like there, <laughs> which is, you know, living um, in the West side of Chicago in the Ukrainian village area on a major street where there's no frontage to actually plant a tree. But I did create a backyard for, for, for myself and my family. Um, but it's just really interesting because since I have um, met Nika, I've really been drawn into this, this community of, of plants and black people and plants. And that's why I'm pretty excited about Nika. So she is the founder of Nika Vaughn. She has almost 20 years of experience in the beauty industry and noticed that cli- clients kept trying to buy her plants from her studio. Um, her biggest indulgences are shopping for beauty products and plants. And she loved the idea of being able to do both at the same time. The plant salon is a lush, calming boutique, is the perfect place to focus on the beauty rituals we indulge in ourselves and our plants. And you know what? 
At Burke Creative, we support indie brands anyway, who specialize in all kinds of amazing things. And so does Nika. Um, she specializes in natural clay masks, hand soaps, and amazing oils. There's just so much going on at Plant Salon Chicago. So Nika, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Honest Field Guy podcast. I'm so excited you're here. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad. So listen, before we get to talk about your professional trajectory, right? I want to know, where did you grow up and were you always in touch with nature? Oh, um, not like, not like how probably, you know, when people say that, like nothing like hippy dippy. <laughs> I'm from, uh, I'm from Southern Ohio originally, um, like Dayton, Ohio, Columbus, uh, not Columbus, even further south than Columbus, but uh, Dayton and Del- what is it? Delaware, Ohio. This teeny little town and you do have lots of like rivers and ravines. And I think at a certain point when you, your parents get the opportunity to deposit you like outside, like mine, mine were quick to being like, yeah, go outside, go, go find something to do. Um, So I, I did, you know, plant, I did like, like, you know, kid stuff, make mud pies and things, but my mom was always a gardener and my grandmother was a big gardener. She had a huge, huge double lot um, garden um, back in New York. And so my mom always had house plants and things. And then when we lived in different houses, she, you know, had the big gardens. She tried to grow cotton as like a political statement. Because wow. <laughs> she was kind of wild. Yeah, you know what? And we did. We got one little ball. She said we wouldn't have been good. We wouldn't have been good back in the day. They couldn't have used us. Oh my god, us. back in the day, right? But no, it was very like you know accessible. Is how I think um, that always stuck with me. How accessible mm-hmm. plants can be. And uh, you know, when I went off to college, I remember I got my first little apartment, and I went to Home Depot, and I bought three of these huge ficus trees. They're called like weeping ficus or Benjamina ficus. And they're the kind that shed everywhere. They just drop leaves if you look at them the wrong way. And I had three of them in my house because I was like, I can do this. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, and that's just kind of I kept going from there. So um, it sounds like you were not quite on a traditional life path as a little girl. I mean, I feel like you grew up around your grandmother and mother who were surrounded by nature and plants and growing things with their hands, right? I mean, there's other entrepreneurs I talk to and they talk about their mothers who were always in the kitchen. It sounds like your mother and grandmother were always outside. Did you sort of, the the, the seeds, no pun intended, <laughs> you know, were they sown when you were younger and saying, I'm going to, you know, you, 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 you put them in a, in a, in a compartment in your brain and then, you know, watched all this happen as a little kid. And you're just like, you know, I'm never going to leave nature. I'm always going to have it. I mean, you said you did it in college, but I don't know that you necessarily thought you were going to be doing what you're doing today. So what was happening when you were little? I mean, I, I love, I love, I just love the black, the black girl growing up story. You know, we all have to hear it because we all have one. No, I mean, I think I was always an entrepreneur. Um, mm. And I think I saw um, working with your hands and, you know, um, my mom was an artist. Uh, and I think I saw the, the act of how you could be contracted to work with your hands and create, and it leads to commerce. It's, it's, it has value. Wow. Um, I, I learned that really young. Um, I think my very first business, that was a horrible business. I think I was like in third grade and we had a cherry tree in our front yard, but they're called like baking cherries, which means they're just horrible cherries. They're just not edible. 
Really, they're just bitter cherries. <laughs> and I was like, I can sell these cherries. My mother is like, no one is going to buy these nasty cherries from you. And, and I was like, I can sell these. And I had a radio flyer wagon. And I remember I had a little suit jacket. And I got produce bags from the grocery store. And I picked these sticky, horrible cherries off our tree and went and was like, who in our neighborhood goes to church with us? Oh my God. And she's like, you have no shame. And I was like, no, 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 they're going to love it. They're going <laughs> to. And I did. And you know what I mean? Because in my mind, it was like, who is inclined to listen to me? I'll start there. <laughs> but wow. that to me is what working with your hands and outdoors, um, all the art my mom did tech, tech, um, leaned towards being, it tended to be more functional. Like she was a hand spinner and a knitter and a weaver. Um, so it was kind of this idea that you can sell this as beautiful, you can sell this as functional. And I liked that, you know, plants was another, just another way to do that. I love that. So then in high school and college, were you still on this entrepreneurial journey, this sort of vision in your head? Were you thinking of commerce even then? Or were you studying medicine or literature? What was going on? I, I knew I was going to go to art school. Um, and I did. I went to art school um, and I went actually grew up for a time um, in Oak Park, uh, just outside the city. And so that was great because then, um, you know, it's kind of more progressive and they have interesting conversations in school. And it allowed for me to take classes. As I took classes at the Art Institute um, downtown. And uh, that was great for the design concept, fine arts background development. Uh, but I also like babysat like it was a job. <laughs> and I, I waitressed, I what else? Um, I would actually do my, my mom hired me back. I mean, probably like an unofficial intern now, like if we weren't related, that's probably what it would have been. <laughs> but she would hired me and she's like, okay, I need you to paint stuff for me. And I need you to make buttons for me and I need you to do it. And it was like, this is due on this date. I need this money. I need them to be, it was like a job. And if I didn't deliver, it was kind of like we had to keep each other on our toes about like, hey, you said you're going to pay me this much. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, your mom was like teaching you how to be an entrepreneur. I mean, I was going to ask you, you know, did you have mentors? And it's very clear to me that your mother was the one who really early on showed you like, look, this stuff can be a real business. Don't look at this as, you know, favors and hobbies. I mean, try to figure out how to make money and be independent. It's funny. She definitely was somebody who um, thought of her craft. And it's kind of like, you know, in the hierarchy of art, craft is like tends to be treated on a lower rung than high, like a fine art or conceptual art. And, and she was very happy being a craftsperson. She was hired by uh, a lot of fine artists to be, um, to actually, you know, fabricate the thing, the fancy idea that they were thinking of. So it's funny. She thought of herself as this craft person and she was very comfortable thinking, well, this is what craft people do. We do X. And I love the idea of what if you took X and you pushed it further that way or this way? Um, does the value of it change? I think that, um, you know, it's interesting you talking about this because I often believe that it's important for children to actually see their parents working, right? Um, I read a story, I don't remember what's, when I read it or what it, what exactly it was, but it was a story about a man who he knew what his father did because every day he went out and he got into a taxi cab and drove the cab 
And then he came home and they would also sometimes take, he would take his kid in the cab, um, you know, to drop him off at school. So he always knew what his father did for a living. And I think some of us that are in, you know, consulting spaces, we don't necessarily see what um, our kids don't see what we do for a living. They don't know what's happening. You know what I mean? So I, I, I wonder if, you know, your exposure to your mother and seeing how she worked and seeing how she used her hands and how she made money and she instilled this in you, if that's, if you would have even come close to being as successful of an entrepreneur and small business owner that you are today, if you hadn't grown up to see that, because a lot of entrepreneurs, they just fell into it. But it sounds like you saw it so early. It's inspiring to me. No, she, I, I think it's funny that she would, she'd be very flattered. She passed away some years ago. So she would be very, very flattered to hear you say that because I think at the time she really would say and think of herself as, you know, she's just this little artist lady, you know, and she's not even doing conceptual crazy stuff. She, she just knows the technique and she knows the history and she loved the process so much. Um, I think that is something I definitely have gotten from her that you should enjoy doing what you do for a living. Like you should, that should not be like some kind of magic carrot. We're all trying to aspire to it should be like that's a given that you really enjoy what you're doing yeah i love that and i think that that's important she loved it and one of the things i do know is that people are realizing in this pandemic what they love and what they don't love. And so if you find things you love, you're going to make it. You know, your first storefront was a bridal beauty salon, right? When did you decide to open your own shop with that? And how has it evolved? Uh, I started, so I was just an independent hair and makeup artist and I did everything. I did commercial work, fashion work, bridal work. Um, And I have a good friend, uh, Jeremy Lawson, photography and he, I, we worked together for years and he had gotten into weddings and he was like, you would be so good at this. You would, you would love brides, brides would love you. You should do it. And so I started to get into weddings um, specifically. And then um, I was still just a freelancer about eight years ago. You know, the worst happens and the, everyone's worst nightmare probably would be hiring like a pregnant vendor to <laughs> for an event or a pregnant contractor. And here I was pregnant with twins and I, um, uh, I had to go to the hospital about two or three months early. I think it was about three. I don't remember. I spent 70 days um, in the hospital uh, during my pregnancy. And I thought it was going to, I thought that was the end of my business. I thought, well, I don't know how I'm going to survive this or what I'm going to do. And I had a bride who said, can't you send someone? And I was like, oh my God, I can send someone. And she said, yeah, I like working with you. Send someone. What a novel idea. You know, just send someone. And so that's how my team developed. And from once you start having a team, you start to want to branch out into, you know, the bigger team and maybe carrying product. And it meant having more of a central location. So our first space was over at the, uh, what is it? The Hubbard Street um, 1821 building, we were in what was Subo Salon, and I think now it's Hex Salon. We just rent out one day a week, just Sundays there. 
And at a certain point, you know, the owner's like, girl, you, you groom, you grew, <laughs> you're too big, you know? And so I was like, okay, I need to find a space. And we sublet for a couple of years. And then about three years ago or so, um, I found the storefront at 957 North Ashland. And it was just our hair and beauty and makeup bridal space. Mm-hmm. And that's really all it was. And it just so happened to have my plant collection there. Um, and people thought it was a plant shop for years and, you know, would knock on the window. And I'm like, none of these are for sale, though. What stood out to me about what you just said was your client said to you, can you send someone? And I love that because it shows that not only were you excellent and she wasn't willing to let you go because you were in the hospital having a baby for 70 days. She was like, you know what? I love your work. I'm not losing you. Can you please find someone so we can keep this relationship going? Did you recognize that opportunity or were you sort of, you know, I mean, you're in the hospital pregnant. I mean, maybe you didn't, it didn't dawn on you until much later how meaningful that is because a lot of women, um, they're discriminated against when they're pregnant. They lose jobs, they lose opportunities, they lose their careers. I mean, I was in a very women oriented business and I thought I was done. I mean, I was literally, you know, in the hair and makeup business for brides. And I thought, oh, this is it. Never going to I'll have to start over again in a year or something. Um, I think the the big blessing was that this particular bride was a lawyer and she had just finished, I think, like a, a like some kind of a fellowship or something, but it was focused on women in business. And she wrote um, basically like a journal about women in business. She mailed it to the hospital that I was staying at because wow. when she finished and was published, uh, she was like, I want you to have this. And she goes, you can do this. Um, And I mean, her name was Bella. She got married at the, oh goodness, was it Adler? I think it was Adler Planetarium. I mean, that's, this is like almost a decade ago and I'll never forget her because she really did plant that seed of, we need to normalize this, that, Mm -hmm. that lawyers work this way. We can, you know, that they have a whole network of lawyers and you go down the line to junior lawyers. Why don't you have an, an extension of your staff and just take on that business model. And I was like, mm. yeah, that's, and I could do it. I had my husband bring my printer to the hospital room. We had a laptop. I was in for 70 days. <laughs> I had, I think two artists. Um, one was Jen Brown. She would come and hang out in the rocking chair in the hospital room. And I would mm-hmm. just talk to her about the different inquiries I got and said, do you want to mm-hmm. do it? And she said, Sure. And she went off and did a wedding. You know, um, it's interesting because when you think about women and and collaboration, you know, women have to work like this. This is how we need to to communicate with each other and support each other, especially when we're working with our own companies. And even we're trying to go through the career on the career path, working in corporations. I mean, we, we need to have understanding and compassion from other women, right? that's how we survive. And, and I, I thank this woman for doing this for you because I almost, I almost say to myself, if it wasn't, if it weren't for that woman who gave you space, where would you be today? Speaking of space. So bridal space to me is so white. It's so white. It's so white owned, designed and represented. Um, you are a black woman, um, beautiful black woman in a, a, a white space. How in the world was it like to navigate this environment of, of absolute whiteness? I mean, magazines, makeup, 
hair. It is hair. a very homogenous space. Um, well, that's putting it lightly. <laughs> I, I know. I mean, because it's like I think I think I attracted a client that loved diversity. I, I we went out of our way to attract clients who were having interracial marriages, intercultural marriages, brides who were worried that their sisters-in-laws who did not look like them, they wanted them to be in good hands. And so I think that that even though, especially in the Midwest and especially in Chicago, um, the wedding industry is very white majority. Um, there definitely was at least a client who appreciated. Well, wait, why do you why do you say especially Chicago, though, especially Chicago versus what Atlanta or what What do you mean by that? Because uh, in the South, the wedding industry is a whole different beast. And um, the idea of having um, a 30, 50, I think what's the average of this is probably a few years out and before COVID, but the average for like wedding cost was like 30,000. And that's like an average. That's the, the lowest of the low, you know, the, the most inexpensively cost wedding against the most luxury. It's going to average out to that 30. Where I was kind of where a focus was weddings that were probably in that, you know, maybe 30 to 100 thousand dollar weddings range. And we were at the point before COVID where we were doing like weddings in California. We were doing, um, I did a couple weddings in Iceland. Uh, it was, you know, travel, we did weddings in Mexico. You know, you start, that was our goal was how can we, where, where does growth look like for a beauty wedding business? Oh, let's start traveling and doing like, you know, work everywhere else. So in the Midwest, the look of it, um, weddings, are built around families and communities and they can have a very regional flavor. So if you are, you know, getting married in Paris has a way different vibe, right? Than getting married in Chicago. Um, in Chicago, it, it, especially if everyone went to college here, if everyone went to like, or my favorite is when people didn't go to college here, but they met because they work in the same law firm here, right. but maybe they went to college at, you know, Oklahoma or Iowa or somewhere even more homogenous. And when you would show up to that wedding, I mean, I think there are times I was literally the only brown entity they're seeing at all that day, you know, catering staff aside. Uh, so it would be, there are times when you could very much feel how alien my presence kind of might be in, in, in their space. And not because, just because visually you just would walk into a room with like, you know, 30 people, it's a lot of people in this room and no one looks remotely like me. So I decided early in my wedding career, um, I'm in an interracial marriage and my kids are biracial that I was like, I need to market to families that look like my family. And right. so we very much, and we, if you were to go to our website, um, it's Nike Von Bridal Artists, and you look through our pages, we try to really push the diversity of brides, that brides look different, that they are, you know, Indian brides getting married who have to deal with, you know, their mother-in-law wants them to wear an Irish veil, like all these weird intercultural things. And we want it to be experienced and versed on how and, and help a bride navigate through that. So she right. felt comfortable coming to us. So we wanted to make sure on our website, we had that representation there so that right off the bat, you know that this is a place 
if you come to our studio, you're going to see lots of different looking right, people. Right, right. And I think that's that representation is important and that will attract um, some brides and not others. I wonder your former company. I mean, are you still running this business because the pandemic has taken yes, a lot of it? We out. are. It is. Out. Okay, so you have so you have two businesses, right? You have um, Nike Von Bridal, and then you have the Plant Salon. Yes. Which business right now is is really calling to you though? Because I I, I know you still have passion on the bridal side because I can hear it in your voice. You still love it, um, but I also sense a deeper passion with the plant salon that you've launched, which by the way, is the most amazing brand name I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) It's just, there's so much connected to plant salon, a black woman that owns it. You know, she used to own a, she still does own a a bridal beauty salon, but, but where, how are you doing both these things? And do you want to continue to do both? Because I, I sensed last year when we first were talking about this, you were making a pretty strong, hard pivot to plants. And I do want to talk a little bit more about the plant culture. Well, I mean, because there was no bridal. There was nothing happening. I mean, you can be in the wedding world. We kind of have these conversations often for the last year. And it's one of those things of you need to figure something out because it's a COVID was like we were all, you know, selling ice boxes and then now refrigerators exist. Um, And that's really where Plant Salon came from. Um, One of the reasons why I named it Plant Salon is I did think it would be weird for people who knew what the space was before to be like, now it's a plant shop. So I wanted to kind of be like, see, it's a plant and a salon (laughs) kind of thing. And um, I love, I mean, I do, I feel like Plant Salon, uh, it is, it is its own separate entity. It's its own separate company. And I think what's neat about Plant Salon is all the growth potential there. Whereas um, something we've run into with the on the bridal service side is even before COVID, you know, there's like labor laws in California were changing. So we were going to have to pull out of California. Um, then with COVID, you, and literally every aspect of what a wedding is and what hair and makeup, <laughs> beauty, it was like we got a double whammy, you know, we just got shut down on all fronts. Um, and it went from being, a, no one would ever have postponed their wedding. You know, it was something that was almost completely unheard of before 2020. And then um, in 2020, now it's like, I might want to postpone because my venue doesn't want me to have a hundred people. And we're like, we don't do anything with your venue though. And you have to kind of explain to brides. It's a lot of education. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, yeah, listening to you talk about it, I mean, it's, it's pretty standard for larger businesses to understand consequences and understand impact of different changes in legislation and local laws. And small businesses have never, ever had to deal with any level of scrutiny like that. So I think it's been challenging. And I understand why some people, especially in the wedding industry, are making decisions to pivot or change or to drop or not do what they used to do, because there's a lot of risk and responsibility now that, you know, wasn't there before. And, you know, again, for Plant Salon, um, I know that you love them both, but with Plant Salon, I feel there's an emotional anesthetic combination with Plant Salon and you that maybe is kind of missing a little bit on, you know, the bridal side. So 
Well, I mean, I, I feel like one of the biggest differences is it's so funny that the other, the bridal company has my name in it. And, you know, that's when I was, when you're an independent contractor or a freelancer, like that's what you name your company. Usually you're like, oh, I want people to find me. My name is Nike Vaughn, you know? Um, and at a certain point, I think I had 20 artists working with our team. We were working in, you know, any state that needed us to get there. Um, trying to figure out international bookings. And there were times when I would go to our studio to clean before a day of appointments. And I would be like, you know, the little black lady in, you know, workout clothes <laughs> cleaning and my beautiful staff would flow in and they're all in black and they look so cute. And then their clients might start to trickle in and it's as I'm leaving. And we would like joke that they would be like, I was like, oh my God, call me like, call me like, you know, Karen or like Katie or something, because I would say Nika because like they these people have no concept of who Nika Vaughn, what I even look like. It, it as much as I was trying to get diversity into our branding by showing as many types of brides we've worked with, there was no room for my for me as the black owner to really have a space in there. I didn't feel like it. Um, I had to like, you know, kind of prioritize that message. And then it, then it kind of got lost. I would, I, like the, I, I could have just been this disembodied name with the company and with plant salon. I feel I started it during the last summer when I think a lot of emotions were particularly charged about, you know, black lives matter, um, and representation and accountability. And uh, I was like, no, I own this company. This is me. Like I was like my little face on my little Instagram <laughs> kind of thing. And if I didn't sell, I remember people being like, when are you going to sell X? I don't like selling. I don't like that plant. So I'm not going to sell it. And they would just look at me like I was crazy. And I'd be like, this is my company. I'm Nika. <laughs> if I don't want to sell it, I don't have to. Because I kind of felt for the first time, it was very liberating to have that um, ownership where it wasn't just, um, I wasn't just this nameless entity in my own company. Uh, it was very much like part of my company's brand is me. And that was a first. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you brought up a lot that I'd like to have another conversation with around black people hiding behind, you know, whiteness in order to make money because we've had to. Um, and that's the way we've been able to grow our businesses on multiple levels. And it's 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 a sad truth that a lot of us don't talk about. I want to talk a little bit more about Plant Salon and your connection to plants and your ability to be yourself and sort of come home. I feel like when I think about Black people and, you know, what we need to do to hold our families together. And with what you just mentioned, Black Lives Matter has been horrifying for for Black people in America. I mean, we've always been dealing with that horror, but now it's been it's turned into a, a toxic, toxic level of horror. And white people are now part of the horror. And, you know, they're participating in the horror at, at multiple in multiple ways at multiple levels is also painful for us. Um but I do think that what's happened, um, which is why I wanted to talk to you, is that some of our conversations have shifted to making sure to prioritize our own well-being, which is what you just talked about. You know, making sure that this is my shop, this is my life, this is my emotional um, responsibility and expression, and I'm going to make decisions. Has that 
conversation come up more and more now with, especially in the plant community, and I should say black plant community, first of all, let me just clarify. I mean, I think in the black plant community, like people are just like enjoying this newfound, you know, um, accessibility. There's just so many plants. Like plants is such a, is such a big subject for like so many people who have been stuck at home for so long that it's kind of like nice that, oh, I can, there's just more access to it versus, um, you know, if you had a hard time finding a plant that you've only seen online, now you can probably find it a little bit more easier and being able to find each other. So there's just more community in sharing that. Uh, I follow so many wonderful like plant Instagram uh, people that it's somewhat funny at a certain point, I think I follow between Facebook and Instagram, I follow more of a black plant community than a general plant community. And has that, has that always been the case? So I guess that's what I'm wondering because of this environment, the pandemic and us being stuck, you know, have, have there been more conversations around how we have to start taking care of ourselves? It's kind of like what you and I talked about earlier, where women, some women, not all, unfortunately, but some women are starting to realize that we have to take care of women before we take care of anywhere, anyone else. Like we have to do this so that we can survive this. But, you know, as far as, as the black community and plants, I've just noticed being an outsider and new to the conversation that there, there is an unapologetic vibe of, well-being in the black community, but specifically in the, the black nature community. It seems powerful to me. Is that, are you noticing that more? I, they are very protective of black spaces and, and, and the idea of, and I think what it, it is, it's such a big, um, that intersectional, you know, the big intersectional word, but it's so intersectional because we can talk plants in a technical way about like, you know, what's going on, what's going, what's going wrong, what's going right. And then if someone drops a phrasing or a cultural reference, you get it in a whole, you, you understand it on a whole different level. Like it's, it's an inside joke coming in an already little niche community. Um, and if you were to drop that joke in, and I've seen this happen where somebody uses a phrasing that would be totally not even a discussion, not even an issue in maybe a black space, but they used a phrasing in a more generic space and it rubbed, uh, the, you know, maybe more of the, I don't want to say, I don't even know if the, I just don't know if they're white or not, but they weren't black. <laughs> so it rubs, it, 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 it feels something's off to those other people. They want an explanation or it felt too aggressive. That was a, there's a one instance I'm thinking of where this person, you know, was selling a plant and she was like, I know what I have. I know what it's worth. And what she meant was, please, let's just don't, don't come at me with low balls, you know, and in the plant world, when you are a, a higher end collector, these plants go for, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. So she was selling like a, probably like a $200, $300 plant. And she was selling it aggressively <laughs> price-wise. But the phrasing she used, had she said, when she used that in, you know, the all black, um, you know, marginalized gender kind of space, that group was like, okay, got it. You're serious. Oh, I got to save. I'm, I'm gonna, if it's still around next month, maybe I'll, I'm going to come back and get that then. In another, in, in, in the wrong group, they were like, oh my gosh, that's such aggressive language. Um, and it, that, it almost reinforces for then the audience, for the Black people participating, this is why we still need a Black space because 
we should be able to have those tones and conversations that are just like, there's nothing, you know, it's not like there's any actual content. It's literally the tone with which you said something. And that was what's weird. There are some amazing um, plant influencers out there. One of my favorite is Plant Blurred on Instagram. And uh, she had this amazing page she got going last summer where all she did was repost. I think she still has it going. She definitely still has it going. But all she does is repost other Black plant people that she finds and have cool pages. Just, it's very much in a space of sharing each other's presence, sharing that you exist, acknowledging each other. And you you don't really get that when you're mixing in really open, just generic plant groups. Why do you think this community is so close-knit and safe? What is it that makes Black people and plants and the plant community, you know, like this? Like how, what, what sort of historical context is, is bringing this to life? I mean, I go back to the story of you talking about your grandmother and, and her growing a single piece of cotton, <laughs> which is like incredible, a little cotton ball. She had a little cotton ball. Yes. That, no, that was my mom. That was my mom. And my mom did it as, I know she yeah. did, she's a wild woman. She did it as like this, like, like at first, I think she just she truly just wanted cotton that <laughs> she wanted to say she. Grew I mean, it's a it's a I mean, it's a political statement. That's kind of what I'm saying. Like, it's a political statement. I only needed one ball. I know, right? I mean, that's kind of what I'm saying. Is this like to me? This feels so righteous and so unapologetic. Being in a black plant community. Like, what is that? What is happening with this right now? Why is this happening? Is it is it the pandemic that sort of brought this on? Is it is it something that's been growing? I mean, between the heightened awareness of, you know, racial inequality and representation and brutality from the police of last summer and on top of COVID and people being so stressed about all the things that COVID causes in their life, um, how it affects where we work and how we live and when we can go to work. Like everyone else, Black people got more into plants. But then I think when it came to, oh, we need it, maybe we need our own space. Maybe we need that space. I think they get very protective. They mm-hmm. give, there's a lot more grace given. I was in a group, I'm still in this one group that I remember that there's not allowed to be picking between each other. The, one of the mean? moderators is very adamant. She said, if there's, if anybody has a beef with anybody else, you need to take that offline. You need to text somebody. You need to message somebody. You two need to figure that out because you're grown adults on the internet. You are not going to have a tit for tat, you know, back and forth because it is kind of, there's this thing kind of like, you know, almost like, you know, you give someone a hard time or you make a little bit of fun of something, or like the dozens or something, right? Where you like, oh, girl, that plant does not look good. <laughs> it doesn't look like it's going to make it. And then because we're supposed to be laughing together. But then when you can sense over the Internet that, oh, this person is really kind of hurt that this plant isn't working out because this plant is supposed to be part of her self-care routine. She's under a lot of stress. We all are. You can empathize. So when it's not working out, that empathy kicks in and it's like, oh, how can I help? And we kind of flip on a dime and you go, you realize really quick, oh my gosh, I, I need to be a support for this person. So I feel like the group is very protective. It gives humor when it's needed and it gives empathy when it's needed. Well, I love seeing some of the posts that you put out about the plant having a baby. 
My plant just gave birth. I mean, I just, I love those conversations. I think they're really beautiful. Do you feel like you fell into this because of the pandemic and you're just like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. I know about this already. This is how I grew up. This is my life. And boom, I'm going to pivot. I feel like you are the, you are potentially someone that could, as you just mentioned earlier, before we got on, you have a new space, you're going to expanding to a warehouse. I feel like you could be the Oprah of plants. I, I, (laughs) that is very kind of you. It's very kind of you. I mean, you're, you're, you've, you've got more than just a story. You have a business mind and a business package here. I mean, you have another company that you have on hiatus because we're in a pandemic and you've launched something else amazing which has a tremendously big community in the United States. The black plant community is huge. I mean, but I think I have to say like right now, my storefront is in, uh, it's in the West Town Wicker Park neighborhood of Chicago. It is very much a gentrified community. It has a lot of young white professionals. You know, I think my, one of my biggest things that moved me was the number of people from other communities who make a point to come visit and support the store. That I think is amazing. But where the store, like my original space just happened to be on that street on Ashland, one of the biggest protests last summer that had like 30 or 40,000 people, but they went past our shop. And so it was just really like, it was very like surreal to be making this thing, you know, this, this new brand, this new company, this shop, basically, I'm just trying to, you know, pay the rent so I don't have to rehome my 12 foot tall Monster plants. Look, I had nowhere else for these plants to go. So like, first and foremost, it was practicality. Like I live in a bungalow. There is no way any of these plants, like I have hundreds and hundreds of plants that are my own plants. I have about like um, just probably under 300 plants. Goodness gracious. And so I was like, oh my God, I have to pay the rent and my business is going. What's, what am I going to do? And people had always asked me, um, you know, like I did pop-ups from time to time. Hey, are you going to do another plant sale? And the very first weekend we were open as a plant store, people came in and they thought, oh, this is so, I'm so glad I caught your pop-up. And I thought, no, no, actually we're going to be here. <laughs> we're going to be here for a while. So feel free to come back tomorrow and the next weekend, anytime you want. Um, But then at that same time is when all these, you know, marches and things were going past uh, down the street and to have people from the neighborhood come in and they wanted to support it. And I think people were still, we're still at an age, people are trying to articulate how they can meaningfully support uh, a movement like Black Lives Matter and meaningfully, just like how they can figure out to help representation. They want to help. Now, how they help, I have people who said some things to me when I was first opened that I would be embarrassed. <laughs> I will say now, but at the time you could tell they literally had no point of reference for all the events we were all living through. I had people that would say things like to me, would they be holding objects in their hands to buy and say, are you the owner? And I'm like, yes. And they go, oh, well, good. Because if you weren't, I was going to put these down and walk out. Wow. I love that. So as a Black business person, I'm forever supposed to be an owner operator. And that's, as someone who came from another business that has a team of 20 people, that was actually really hurt my feelings because it was like, you would, you feel comfortable seeing me work. I was like, oh, you don't understand how you are supposed to be helping. You just know you're supposed to be helping. Mm-hmm. And that to me was like, okay, I, there's, there's more work to be done. Yes, mm-hmm. thank you for coming in the store. And let me show you that I have a staff of five people. We actually have a staff of five now um, that are wonderful, 
women versed in plants. And it's like, no, like I don't work around that because that's not how a business is really run. And you're not going to get growth in a company running your business that way. It just happens to make, it made that customer feel good that my brown hands (laughs) helped her that day. I felt bad about it afterwards, you know, like, like, wow, she didn't get it at all. It seems to me like you would, you were in a space where you can influence because people are looking to you for education and knowledge um, and to help them understand why they should care, why they should, why should it be important? And why does it matter that? Yes, I am a black woman owner. And yes, there's I don't think there's any black women that own a shop on Ashland and Wicker Park, you know, a, a retail storefront anyway. If, if there are any, they're hiding in the background. Um, we talked about that earlier, but I think this is something amazing for you. Do you feel like you would like to become a stronger voice in the black plant community or do you already feel like you have that voice now? Uh, we've been very lucky to have some wonderful opportunities to share plant salon, you know, messaging with a larger demographic. We did a broadcast for um, PBS Wisconsin's Garden Expo back in February where we had like an hour long presentation with them that I got people messaging me from around the Midwest because apparently you can watch that station <laughs> from anywhere and it was online. And they were like, oh my God, I didn't know that you even existed. And I love seeing it. How can I, you know, I want to buy stuff. I love everything on the website. And I, for me, what was, when I feel like it's a win is when, you know, someone acknowledges, yes, I'm so glad to know there's there's another Black owned business doing great things, but they are not put off by the size of the business. The fact that we have a a legitimate looking website, that it is not so homegrown, that it feels like, you know, you really can buy your lip gloss, your face mask, and then all your succulent plants all in one place. Like that's, that to me is when I feel like a win. When people are like, um, I loved working with your staff. They kind of get that you are the owner of the company that it is not me back in a kitchen slaving over a stove to serve. I thought it was so cool to be able to hire a staff of people this fall. You know, this company didn't exist a year ago. So to be able to to afford to hire, we were doing well enough that we could hire people. That to me was a moment of celebration that we, at a time when people were like out of work, were creating jobs in our community. That would have been, I think, something cool to acknowledge those kinds of milestones. Wow. That black, that business grew. Yeah. You know, let's look for, I want us to encourage growth. I think people are very happy knowing that, yes, we helped create, you know, some businesses. How long did they last? Were they able to grow? How feasible is their business plan? Those are some really big standards that I think a lot of people would hold any other business to. But when it became like a a, a business of color or a, a black female owned, the bar I felt like was set way too low. Yeah. Um, and when I went around to look for, you know, um, capital and, and investment, and I had some phone calls with some people where I was like tenacious and you could tell they were, they were a bit surprised. Cause I was like, no, you cannot on your social media say that you were supporting X and then give me this canned response. 
that if you're going to say publicly that you're supporting women of color businesses, I would like, great, how can we work together? <laughs> well, I love that because you're more interested. I mean, sure, it'd be great, you know, for you to become the Oprah Winfrey of plants in America. However, what's really important is that not only do you advocate for yourself, but that you speak truth to power and say, these are the things that really need to be happening. And you're backed up by social proof so that people will listen to you and agree with you and, and give you what you need. And I and I think sometimes, you know, it's easier to go on blast on social and, and say X, Y, Z and write articles, which is what I do. But it's it's a little bit more of a strategic thinking process, you know, to sit down in front of a banker and, and put a demand in front of them and say, this is what you said. Now you have to act like this and do this. I think that's important. I don't know that there's enough of that. Again, I feel like when um, women and Black people start to see each other and recognize that they have to be unapologetic and they have to sponsor and they have to decide, I'm going to tear down this concrete wall and ensure that other people get through it and they can see what's happening here. That's the only way that anything is going to change for us. And I And I do respect what you're doing. I think it's hard, first of all, to have a retail business in a pandemic. I mean, it's just, it's it's incredible that you've been able to do this in under a year. You have a retail business, a storefront where everything is shut down and yet your store is open, masked up, of course, because I've been there many times, helping people manage their emotions and feel a connection to nature, especially in a city like Chicago, which is concrete everywhere. I mean, you've done a remarkable thing and you have giant hair. And I want to talk about that too, because, um, you know, being a black woman in business, especially in a retail environment and a beauty space, you have natural hair. I mean, right now I'm actually even going through my own natural hair transition and I am completely terrified of it. I don't know if you saw my mom's post last night, but she's like, well, you know, Ginger, um, you can always blow dry it. You know, I mean, this is the world I give <laughs> my hair, you know, but I'm, I'm curious about, um, you know, you being a black woman in business with natural hair. I find it, you know, all my life I've, I've had my own hair, but I've had, I've straightened my hair. How does the natural beauty experience, which you have align with your brand plant salon? You know, when before we opened as a plant salon and it was just a beauty space, I did sell product. Um, we sold uh, hair extensions, clip and hair extensions for brides, uh, lipstick, glosses, all that kinds of stuff. And for a few weeks, I tried to have all of it happening at once in plant salon and it just did not feel right. It's kind of like when you have like your comfy outfit and like you, you wear it to a fancy occasion or you wore your fancy outfit to a super casual, mm -hmm. like hangout. You're like, oh, something is wrong with this. So I quickly, after a couple of weeks, it just didn't even look right on the shelf. So I like, I pulled that stuff back and I was like, what do I like when I am doing services? What do, what are some of my favorite things? And so I love like lavender water and rose water. And we started kind of just starting with, you know, I think it was like five or six things. And um, it was lip balm because everybody needed lip balm. Um, it was a wonderful hand sanitizer that had this essential, there's two that had essential oils in them so that you really, it was almost like just like a body spray that you focused on your hands. So to me, it was like, okay, I want things that just kind of feel more comfy. And because my personal collection of plants 
was in the space and it's still in the space, but they are not for sale and people are not happy about it sometimes. I'm like, no, those are my plants. And we say they're there to inspire, but really they have nowhere else to go. So <laughs> that's my, and they're very large. So some of my plants like are 12 feet tall, six feet across. It's like a mini jungle to go into the shop in the very front. And then I have cabinets full of kind of like uncommon, harder to find plants. And yeah, it's pretty beautiful. Yeah, it's pretty beautiful in your shop. It's gorgeous. I mean, you do feel like you're entering another world. And it's and it's an organized, it's an organized, beautiful world. It's it's not like um some of the shops when I was a little kid in High Park and you walked in and the humidity was like super crazy dropped and there was little, you know, gnats flying around. You, you sometimes you get water dripping on your face and you it was just like you it was just really uncomfortable. It wasn't like walking into a conservatory where you expect you know, to be slammed with bees. Um, but your shop is has a really beautiful balance of beauty, scale, light, smells, colors, natural products. I mean, it, it really does work. And I think that's, that's what I'm wondering, um, you know, the natural experience combined with plant salon, some, somehow you have concocted this really beautiful experience. And you also have community of Black people with plants. It's just you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to sort of understand it, it sounds like in, in some ways it, it it was not completely intentional. And that's fine. I mean, it sounds like you're like, you know what, I'm 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 listening closely. I'm sensing my body. I'm seeing what's happening. I'm getting a feel for things and I'm making decisions as we go. And you know what? It's it still feels OK. It's almost like you're in a crystal ball and you're like, this is what I need to create. It, it seems very magical to me. I don't remember where I saw the phrase, but it was someone talking. I mean, because I think that's one of the benefits I had was I had already run a business for a decade. It wasn't like I was starting a business and I had to like learn 100% of everything from day one. I had to kind of figure out some details, you know, just like... And, and in my mind, I thought, well, one of the things I used to love doing was walking around like Oak Street or maybe at a really big, like a big mall, like Woodfield or somewhere. And you find a store that does sell a bit of everything like anthropology. And you could like go and sit. They would have like seats, right? And you would sit and they, they were merchandised so well that it felt like you were in this curated living space. And I thought, well, I mean, that's kind of like how people what we did in the studio, it was just so happened to be our studio, but it was set up almost like, you know, it had a little living room and then it had some like tables and chairs. It didn't look like a traditional salon at all. And I thought, well, people really seem to like that, <laughs> that energy. So then let's keep that. Let's just keep it going. And we would have people when plant salon opened who would come and they might spend 15 or 20 minutes just looking at the private collection plants. And just checking stuff out and asking questions. I mean, and they're not even really browsing yet. And then once they've kind of taken enough of that in, they kind of would turn around and go, well, I want to take something home. And and that's kind of when I thought, oh, that's why this works. It's because if you could make your space, if you went into a space you really liked and you could take a bit of it home with you. It's a sanctuary. I mean, I walk in and I feel like it's a sanctuary. That's how I feel walking into your salon. Um, and I love it. And I feel more encouraged because of the environment we're in. I feel like you've been able to bring together all of your experiences, including, you know, how you grew up 
your marketing abilities, um, your branding and design thinking, um, as well as the people that you've brought along all this time. I mean, you've really cultivated and protected your network to help you move forward. That's what happens when you walk into your shop plant salon. Um, you really do feel um, an intentional but safe space there. And I also love how you've been able to translate that experience online and be a part of the hashtag Black People with Plants community, which I think is really powerful. I always love to go on Instagram and follow your messages and follow your stories. And also I love to hear other Black people that are sharing um, in conversations with you. I think it's amazing. You you have courage. You speak truth to power. You don't shy away from things. I mean, this is an emotionally trying time to find you know, to find serenity um, with what you're doing with Plant Salon is very meaningful. So listen, this has been a great conversation, but I do want to have some really, really quick hits, Nika, with you. What is your favorite plant? One answer. I have to say, and it feels like a cop-out, but I have to say the Monstera Deliciosa. Awesome. What's your favorite flower? Ooh, that's a good one. Lilac. Do you have a favorite black supplier? One of my favorite, we get this candles. And I, I love them for two reasons. It's our rewind candles. And one, the candles are amazing. But then two, the vessels that they choose to use for the candles make wonderful mini planters and containers for um, propagating plants. Oh, that's amazing. And what is the best part of your day? I love when I get to go to my workspace and it's quiet and I have time to just, um, no one else is there and I have time to just kind of spread out and make with the plants, like just kind of figure out what I want to chop up and... (laughs) That sounded kind of funny. I get to go and make out with the plants. I get to go make it with the plants. I'm making it, baby. Let's go. I love to propagate. So propagating is, um, it's a technique that it's, there's lots of techniques, but it's the act of making new plants, like from cloning or what have you. And I love to make new plants. So yeah, when I can get in there, usually it's after hours. One of the reasons why we needed a separate workspace was we can't have all the things happening in our storefront at the same time. And we just have grown to the point where in order to still be creative, we need more space. What is your favorite cereal? Oh, I would say uh, Rice checks. Get out. Are you serious? You're a Rice checks girl? Not even like Lucky Charms? But see, you can't have that forever. At a certain point, you will get sick of it or you'll feel guilty. Right. I never feel guilty eating Lucky Charms ever. Since you've opened Plant Salon... What is the scariest thing that has happened since you've opened Plant Salon? You know, people forget that, like, I opened Plant Salon because COVID shut everything else down. Well, when school started back as hybrid or school period, when they were all remote, figuring out what to do with your family when you through a pandemic and then having started a new business that was pretty traumatic. My husband will joke. He's like, you're going to be processing that later. You'll be sitting somewhere. <laughs> you're going to process mm-hmm. that because there's a point where you're like, all my babies need me. My, my business baby needs me and my real, you know, my human babies need me and you can't be there for everyone. And that's a really hard place to be. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that. And I agree with you because I'm a mother myself and this is for sure stretched me to limits I didn't even know I I had. I mean, I I can't believe that 
<laughs> all of this is happening to us at the same time. It's it's incredible. I mean, I'm glad we're alive and we're healthy and our families are healthy. Running a business while having school-aged children is, you know, I don't know. I mean, you know, congratulate both congratulations to both of us, Nika, for making it through this and all the women out there that are doing this in a pandemic with children, school-aged children. I mean, that don't have their kids in school. I mean, congratulations to all of us. Well, listen, everyone needs to check out Nika's natural beauty and plants at plantsalon.com. I will have things in the show notes. Her um, store is located at 957 North Ashland in the Chicago area. It's amazing. It's a beautiful shop and you have to go there and check it out for a multitude of reasons. Thank you so much for listening to the Honest Field Guide podcast. Nika, thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Original music is written by and provided courtesy of Utah Carol. Follow Honest Field Guide on Instagram and Twitter. The opinions expressed on the Honest Field Guide are opinions only 